0: Well, welcome to Emmanuel. How you doing today, guys? We want to welcome Banta Franklin. We want to welcome our online campus and of course everyone here at Greenwood. Just so glad, so glad to be with you here today. We are actually wrapping up a series today called Transitions. And it's been a three-week series, and I've heard a lot of positive feedback about this series. It's been very, very helpful to you. Have you guys enjoyed it so far? Awesome, awesome. And uh, basically, to give you, if you're a first time guest with us here today, you haven't been here for a while, what we've been talking about is how life is filled with transitions. We're constantly moving from one stage to another, one condition to another, uh, one, one you know, position in our life to another position. Life is not stagnant. Do you agree with this? We're always moving, we're always going. And what we've been talking about is that most people just don't handle transitions very well in their life. It's a tough thing. We even have a language for this. We say, oh, she's not handling the transition very well from this job to that job, or he's not handling the transition very well from being married to single or whatever. And we, we, we talk about this. And the reason that we struggle, or most people struggle to handle transitions in our lives, is because we feel like we're losing control. We love to be in control of our lives. We love to be able to predict what's coming next. And when we're transitioning, we can't do it. It's like, oh my gosh, there's this new thing coming, and I'm losing control. Another reason we struggle is we, we're leaving behind something good many times and we don't we want to hold on to that thing and say, no I liked it the way it was and so I don't want to go into this new phase, this new area of my life. And, it's just, it's hard. Another, another reason we struggle with transitions is because we have to learn some new things, some new skill. We're going into a new area of our life. We have to learn how to be in that new area. And sometimes it requires learning some new things, and we don't like to do that. And so we struggle. We struggle because transitioning makes us, here it is, uncomfortable. Do you agree? Yes or no? It's just, oh, man, why can't it be like it used to be? And can we go backwards? And, and so we, what do we do we, to cope with the transitions? Well, we, we stress out. We freak out. We get worried. We will become anxious, right? Sometimes we'll turn to Netflix or a, a gallon of ice cream <laughs> or, or something like drugs or alcohol. Sometimes we deny the transitions even happening, right? We just say, oh, it's not. I'm not really going through this. And, and that's, that's kind of like a, a fantasy world. Sometimes people will even try to stop the transition from taking place in their life. But we just don't handle it very well. And what we said in the series is that since life is filled with transitions, if we don't handle the transitions well, then we're not handling life well. And so what we, what we wanted to do in this series is just talk about some basic principles to help each one of us transition very well. In the week number one, we talked about embracing the transition in our life, right? We talked about not just giving it a head nod, but giving it a hug, right? And then if we do that, then we will start to prepare for the transition. A lot of people struggle to go through transitions in their life because they're just simply not prepared for retirement. They're not prepared for the empty nest. They're not prepared for their kids to go to college. They're not prepared emotionally, psychologically. And so they really struggle to go through that next phase in their life So we embrace it, we prepare for it And then last week, so critical We said you have to lean into others we said that God has not designed you and I to go through this life or go through, tra- through our transitions by ourselves. Other people give us insight, right? Other people give us practical help, and other people give us hope. And that's why we, we're bonkers around here about small groups. And we say, hey, get in a group. Are you in a group? Get in a small group. Why? Because that's where you get the practical help. That's where you get the hope. That's where you get the insight. That's where you get the accountability to go through the difficult times in your life. So that was all last week in week one. You remember that stuff? Good. You remember? Yes? No? Did you forget it all? Okay, hopefully hopefully you didn't forget it. Uh, so today what I want to do is wrap this up with our fourth principle. Fourth principle, yeah, of how to go through transitions well. And so we're going to jump right in, and that is to trust God in it. To trust God in and through the transitions. From cover to cover, this book encourages us, exhorts us, teaches us, to put our faith and put our trust in God. I wonder why. Could it be because life causes anxiety? Could it be that life sometimes, but the way it goes and the way it turns out, it causes us to fear? It causes us to worry? Anybody? Yes? No? Yeah? I see. Here's in your notes. Here's why I think the Bible tells us from cover to cover to trust in God. Because transitions create this thing called anxiety. <laughs> My oldest just got his license last week. 16 years old. A bit of a transition in our home. He's got his car, and everything was kind of going along. I mean, I was sort of, we were sort of dealing with it in a mature way. And then on Wednesday, he went to school by himself. I was standing in the driveway, and it was 6.30 in the morning or 7 in the morning, and I'm just watching him pull out of the driveway by himself. And it hit me. Like something physical hit me. Like not even like, oh, oh I'm worried. Like, do <gasps> like you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it, like, the, like the anxiety affected my physical condition, which caused me to pray like I had never prayed before. See, normally I make requests to God. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Oh, Lord, would you please? And Lord, w- would you help? And if it's your will, would you do this or that? That morning, I didn't ask for anything, I told God what to do. I said, you need to protect that child because he's going to die. You know, I mean just, he just, I mean, just, I'm not asking. Like, you have to come down from heaven with angels around the automobile and protect him from stupidity and stupid choices and other drivers and all kinds of stuff. Stop lights and stop signs and oh my gosh. Right? Anybody pray like that before? Like, it's totally, like, this transition. It's like, ah! What do we do now? Here's, what, here's what's true. Transitions create anxiety in our life. This new area, this new place you've never been before, and you got to pray like you've never prayed before and learn things you have to learn and leave behind this safe little you know, existence that you had and venture to this new land. It creates anxiety. This is what happened with, with Joshua. When Joshua took over from Moses, talk about transitioning, going from 400 years of slavery to 40 years of wandering in the desert, and then it was time to go into the promised land, God t- taps Joshua on the shoulder and says, Moses isn't my man anymore. Goodbye, Mo. Now it's going to be you. You're going to take my, my people into the promised land, two million of them, right? And I know, Joshua, you've never held a sword, and no one has ever held a sword before, but you're going to go into this land, and you're going to defeat these people that have fortified walls and have been fighting battles their whole life. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. I know you've never led a military, you know, uh, uh, any, any type of military, uh, what do you call it, uh, affair or, or whatever. I know you've never been in charge of an army before. You've never gone into battle before. Don't worry about it. I've got your back. Listen to what he says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and what? Courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Did Joshua have a reason to be afraid and discouraged? You better believe it. I mean, how do you just walk into occupied territory, people who have have, have fought their whole life, and just take their land like that? How do you do that without ever having led an army or fought a battle? these people had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years they didn't even have a home he says don't be discouraged don't be afraid how why for what reason for the lord your god is say it with me is with you wherever you go joshua i want you to trust in me transitions create anxiety you have a lot of reason to be anxious and worried and afraid here's what i want you to do put your trust in me it's going to be all right I know if you look at probabilities, you're gonna become afraid. I know if you look at the walls and the size of the people and their swords and their, their all their, their paraphernalia, their war paraphernalia, you're gonna become afraid. I'll be with you. And so all throughout the Bible, we see this idea of trusting in God. Let's look at just a few quick verses, other than Joshua 1:9, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord. How often? Always, not just sometimes, not just through the easy transitions, not just through the fun times. Trust in the Lord always. Why? Because the Lord is an eternal rock. He's something you can count on. He's someone you can count on. Listen to Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in the Lord how often? All times. All times all throughout your life, through every single transition of your life, I want you to trust in him. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. Why? Because God is a refuge. What does that word refuge mean? mean? It means a safe place. It means a place of protection. You can run to him, and he will watch over you. Psalm 56, verse 3, I love this one. When I am afraid, I will, what? Put my trust in you. It's, I'm telling you, I could keep going. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths smooth and straight, right? And verse after verse after verse, we are told, instructed, encouraged to trust in God. But Why? Why can we trust in God? What would motivate, what would give us enough motivation to say, okay, I'm going through a tough time, I'm going through a transition, I'm losing control, leaving behind something good, going into a new new area where I have to learn new things. Why should I trust in God? I'm going to give you two reasons today, okay? Because we need some solid reasons. If you're like me, you're a thinker, you're thinking, okay, well, why should I do that? Number one, in your notes, we can trust God because God has a plan. He has a plan. He's got a plan for the transition. Another way to say this would be God is at work in the transition. He is doing things. It's not just random chaos, although it might seem that way. God has a plan. Great story in the Bible about this, story of Joseph. Anybody like the story of Joseph? Great story. Joseph's got these 11 brothers, right? His father's name is is Jacob, and his dad loves him, so he's kind of his special, you know, son, so he makes him a coat of many colors. Remember Sunday School, anybody? Okay, so this coat makes his brothers jealous, his brothers don't like him. On top of that, Joseph has these two crazy dreams where everybody in his family is bowing down to him, okay? Even his mom and dad are bowing down to him. Joseph, in his naivete, shares the dreams with his brothers and his mom and dad and they're like okay now we really hate you like if the coat wasn't good enough now now we hate you for sure and so they start to plot his death they're going to murder his they're going to murder their own brother so they take him out one day and they're going to kill him and and one of his brothers steps up and says oh his name was Judah Judah said we can't kill our own flesh and blood let's just sell him into slavery. <laughs> Great idea. So they sell Joseph for like 20 pieces of silver. He they gets sold to the Midianites. The Midianites take him into Egypt. Now you talk about transitioning. This is not a good transition. Like, you're the apple of your father's eye, the one with the special coat, right, special favors. Now he's separated from his father, separated from his family, separa- separated from his mother, and now he's a slave in Egypt. Well, these Midianites sell Joseph to a guy named Potiphar. And now, b- now he's a servant in Potiphar's house, powerful uh, authority in Egypt. And things start to go okay for Joseph at Potiphar's house. You know, God's favor is upon him and he starts to rise up and Potiphar gives him all sorts of authority inside the house and then things go sideways again. You know the story, right? Potiphar's wife starts to have, you know, an eye for Joseph. <laughs> and she starts to come to him every day and say, well, let's let's be together. Let's sleep together. Let's be intimate, you know. And Joseph's like, every day, Joseph's like, no, I can't do this. This would offend God. This would offend my, my boss. You know, I can't, I can't. He's given me everything but you. <laughs> I can do anything I want to do, but I can't touch you. And so she keeps coming at him. One day, she gets so aggressive, she grabs him. You know the story. Joseph runs. He gets out of there. Her His cloak is in her hand. She comes up with this elaborate story that Joseph tries to Raper, right? Potiphar finds out, throws Joseph in jail, just right in the slammer. Talk about injustice. See, some of us, some of us get caught up when, 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 th- when things go wrong in our lives, when they get sideways, and whether it's an injustice or somebody treats us unfairly, we lose it. We lose it. Like, forget about a relationship with God. Forget about trusting God. Forget about God's plan. This shouldn't be this way, right? We lose our temper. We get angry. <laughs> this happened to Joseph, Falsely accused of rape, gets thrown in jail. He continues to trust God. When he's in jail, this is a true story, by the way. Some of you think I'm making it up. <laughs> it's a true story. It's in the Bible. Genesis 36 through 42, I think. There you go. Joseph's in jail. These two guys come in: the cupbearer and the baker. They both work directly for Pharaoh, number one, president of Egypt. They come in. Joseph, the favor of God is upon Joseph in jail. He starts to rise and, you know, the whole thing, remember Pharaoh's house, he starts to become a person of authority and inside the jail cell. So he's talking to these guys one day. He said, what's going on, fellas? You know, you look troubled. They said, well, we both had dreams last night. And the cupbearer tells him his dream, you know. And then the, cup, uh, the baker tells him his dream. And Joseph's like, guess what? Today's your lucky day, guys. I can interpret dreams. <laughs> Who knew? So Joseph interprets the cupbearer's dream. Everything works out really well for him. He gets his job back sipping Pharaoh's wine. Pretty decent job, don't you think? Yes or no? Okay. Gets his job back three days later. Doesn't work out so well for the baker. You know what I'm talking about? He loses his head Crows pick out his eyes. It's terrible. He dies. He dies. Joseph, before the cupbearer leaves jail, says this to to the cupbearer, hey, 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 when you get out there, just don't forget me. Come on. I did you right. I interpreted your dream. I got you out of here. Right? Well, cupbearer forgets Joseph for two years. Joseph stays in jail. You talk about injustice. How could he forget? How selfish. Why didn't he remember me? Joseph doesn't get down. He doesn't get discouraged because he was trusting in God the whole time. Well, fast forward two years. Pharaoh has a dream. In fact, he has two dreams. All of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers the guy in jail who interprets dreams. He goes, hey, Pharaoh, there's a guy in jail. He can do it. Bring him. So Joseph comes out of jail, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. and You know the story if you've ever read it, right? Seven years of plenteousness, seven years of famine, Joseph interprets the dreams, ends up saving everybody from certain death because of the seven years of famine, and Joseph gets elevated in the end. I'm making a long story short. In the end, he gets elevated to the second in power of all of Egypt. Well during that seven years of famine, the 11 brothers who were out of food, they came to Egypt for food. Long story short, they discovered who Joseph was and they thought he was going to kill all of them. They were so afraid of him. They were cowering in front of him. They got down on their knees in front of Remember the dream? Remember the dreams? They got down in front of their knees in front of Joseph and begged for their life. Listen to what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50. Guys, bros, brothers, sold me into slavery. You intended to harm me, you had evil intent for me. You sold me your flesh and blood, but God intended it for what? Good. You have to understand, guys, I've been trusting God this whole time. Was it wrong that you did that? Was it wrong that I got falsely accused of rape and spent two years in prison? Was all that wrong? Yeah, it was wrong, but it was still good, because here's what was going on. God accomplished what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Because Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, many people lived. You see, God has a plan in your transition. You say, yeah, that's Joseph's life. Come on, who who am I? Does God really know what's going on in my life? Is he the one orchestrating events in my life? I'll just show you what Paul said. You can decide, Romans chapter eight. And we know. In other words, we have knowledge of this truth. We've come to understand this about God and ourselves. And we know that for those who love God, now that's an important phrase, you have to be in a relationship with God for this truth to be applied to you. You have to love Him. Not perfectly. No one loves Him perfectly, and no one is sinless, but you have to be in a relationship with God for this truth to apply for you, to you. And we know that for those who love God, what does it say? All things work together for, say it with me, for good. It sounds like he's quoting Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, don't you think? You guys meant this to harm me, but God meant it for what? He meant it for good. All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's absolutely true that if you're in a relationship with God today, there is a plan in your transition. And therefore, you can trust him in it. Does that make sense? Now, I know some of you are like me, and you push back. That's okay. You can do that. You can spar with the preacher. I deal with other preachers. That's good. I'm okay with that. You're thinking right now, some of you, not all of you, some of you are thinking, okay, but what if I don't like the plan? <laughs> what if I disagree with the plan? Okay, God has a plan. I should trust him. I don't like it. I've been there. You ever been there before? Like right now, some of you are there, and you're like... Okay, God has a plan, but it's a terrible plan. It's, I wouldn't do it this way whatsoever. If I were God, I would do it this way. Like, it doesn't, like, hearing that God has a plan doesn't make you want to trust him because you're not sure if he knows what he's doing, you know, driving behind the wheel. <laughs> That's why the second point is so important, and that is this right here. God is good. He doesn't just have a plan. Oh, he does. But he's also Good. Listen to the prophet Nahum, Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, (laughs) a strong refuge in times of transition. Oftentimes we go through trouble when we're in a transition, right? The Lord is good. He is someplace you can go for safety when things are going crazy. He's close to those who trust. In him. Psalm 119, verse 68, the psalmist writes it this way, you are good and what you do is good. What does it mean for God to be good? Two, two, two concepts, track with me really quick. It's, it's a, they're, they're simple. It, it's, it's really one concept is that God's character is good. Like he's a good person. God has a soul. He's got a personality. He's got a character about him. He, he is a certain way. He is love. You've probably heard it said, God is love, right? He always does what's best for us. God is also, he's not just love, he's also good, which means he always does the righteous thing. He will not lie or deceive or manipulate or cheat. He always does the righteous thing, the right thing. And that is why we can trust him, because his heart His character is good. But it's not just about his character. His character is not just good. His actions are also good. You are good, and what you do is good. Out of a good heart comes good actions towards his children. The Lord's Prayer says, our Father who art in heaven, right? So as children, we we talk to him as a father. And I get that because I'm a father, and I try to do what is good for my children. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day whose daughter just left for college, transition, high school, college, Purdue University. And they went through this transition and she and her husband drove their daughter up to Purdue and they were describing all these different things. And I asked, I said, isn't it true that because you love your daughter, you did everything that you could do to make that transition well? Like you did, you checked the finances, and you did the registration, and you made sure she had transportation, and you made sure of this, and the meal plan was set up, and you made sure that she had got her classes, and you made sure she got registered, and you made sure, and you made sure, isn't that right? And she said, absolutely. And isn't it right that you did all of that to make sure this transition was as smooth as possible? Isn't it, isn't the motivation, the actions, Lord, you are good and you do what, isn't the, isn't the actions, aren't the actions coming from the goodness in your heart towards your daughter? Yeah, she said. And then she said this. She said, we took it a step further. We didn't, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how she would respond. We didn't know if she would want us to just leave right there. Like, okay, I'm here. See you. Peace. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for the ride. <laughs> Got it from here. They didn't know. So it went the other way. And she wanted them to stay and hang out and have dinner and, and get her settled into her dorm and do all these different. They didn't know. But they did everything that their daughter wanted to do. And then they left. Why did these parents make sure this transition went as smoothly as possible? Isn't it because of their hearts, the goodness in their hearts to do what is right by their daughter? Now, some of you are still struggling with this concept because, quite frankly, what you think is good for you is different from what God thinks is good for you. Now, let me talk about that really quick, because this is, this is kind of fun, because I'm a dad, and, and, and my kids want to do things that they think are good for them, like play hours of endless Fortnite, okay? Anybody else? Yes? No? Okay. Some of you adults play hours of endless Fortnite, okay? So you understand the teenager deal. So that's what they think is good for them. They also think lots of Doritos are good for them, they also think that maybe having a terribly messy room and not brushing their teeth is good for them, right? They would, they would avoid, you know, certain activities and they would eat lots of terrible things, which grandparents make that situation even worse. And not that their grandparents are in town or anything like that, but, but uh, uh, they are. Anyway, so, so they, just, they just do, they have all these ideas of what they think is good for them. And I know better. And so I step in and say, you can't have that, and you can't do that, and you have to, you can't play endless hours of Fortnite, and you can't, and you can't, and you must, and you must, and you must. And my kids are like, oh, man, Dad, you're terrible. What a terrible father. Now, they don't say that, but the look in their faces, it's like, you are the worst father in the world. Do you know what my friend's father lets them do? Have you heard that? <laughs> like, they're allowed to watch that movie, and they can play as endless video games, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, <laughs> I ain't their dad. I'm your dad, and what's, I know what's good for you. And they'll argue with me, and they feel, so they feel like, they feel like <laughs> I don't know what's good for them. They think they know what's good for them. I'm telling you, I'm telling you 100%. Please hear my heart. You and your relationship with God works the same way. You have an idea of what you think is good for you. And sometimes you're right. And then God is up in heaven and he sees everything and he's all wise and he knows what's good for you. And oftentimes, what he knows is good for you is not what is good as what you think is good for you. And so we end up getting frustrated with him. And why doesn't he just heal her? And why doesn't he just fix this marriage? And why doesn't he just get me this raise? And why doesn't he just, if he loved me, he would just get me this job. And if he loved me, I wouldn't be so lonely. And if he loved me, and if he was good, and on and on and on and on, it goes like little children. You with me, yes or no? Can we all be humble enough to admit we do that? And what we have to come to is this understanding that, 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 that what's good for me may not be what I think is good for me may not be what's actually good for me. I need to trust that God knows what's good for me and he has a plan. And that's when we can continue to move through transitions very, very, very well in our lives. God is good and he has a plan for our lives. I remember back in 2006 when this church went through the toughest, toughest transition I think it's ever been in. It's only had one senior pastor transition. Hardest time of my life, hands down hands down 2006 founding pastor jim devaney retires the church votes me elders vote me in as the senior pastor i was 28 years old church was running about 2000 people at that time it wasn't long 6 months 8 months later we were down to 900 people i mean it was just a mess My fantastic leadership skills brought the church from 2,100 down to 900. (laughs) Fastest church split we've ever seen. No, there are probably faster church splits. but I remember thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I remember thinking, I got to get out of here. I remember thinking, I'm the wrong person. I remember questioning the calling on my life. I remember questioning my skill set. I remember questioning everything I knew, I thought I knew about leadership. Where's the closest door? I've got to get out of here. I've messed this up. Horrible. Friends leaving. Loved ones leaving. And I'm telling you, the only way I was able to hang in there through that difficult transition from founding pastor to 20-year-old new, <laughs> wet-behind-the-ears <laughs> pastor was that I, I knew God had a plan. And he knew his heart was good. And, and, and even though I couldn't understand what it was and I couldn't sense it and I couldn't see it, I trusted his heart. It didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. I kept telling God, if you really love this church, (laughs) if you really love me, these are the things that should be happening. And none of them were happening. And I wasn't the only one going through it, right? Many of you were here, watching at different campuses and online. You were here during that time. And you had to make a decision. Oh, my gosh, do I bolt like all my other friends have bolted? Or do I trust that God has a plan and that he's good and somehow this 20-year-old kid is going to lead us, lead us somewhere? <laughs> and you struggled, and you saw friends leave, and you saw loved ones leave the church, and you stuck it out. And isn't it true that the reason that you stuck it out and you stayed is because you trusted that God had a plan and he has a good heart? In fact, right now, if you're here and you went through that transition with us, would you, would you just do me a favor and stand up really quick? Would you stand up? Just right now. Can we just give it up for these people right here? Thank you. Thank you so much that you trusted. You trusted not in me, but you trusted that God had a plan and that his heart was good. And here we are, you know, I don't know, 12 years later or so, we reach over 5,000 people every weekend in our physical locations. Since January, 390 people have put their trust in Christ. That's just this year. The year before that, it was 900 and some. The year before that, it was over 1,000 people. We're online right now, literally reaching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people because God had a plan, and now we're starting to see it fulfilled. His heart was good, and he knew what was good for me, and he knew what was good for us, even when we didn't agree. Can I ask you a tough question here today? What transition do you need to trust God in? Come on. This isn't isn't a sermon, guys. I didn't put this together because, oh, my gosh, it's the weekend, and I need to preach something. What I try to do for you every week is describe reality, like how do we, as a church, a group of people, a group of Christ followers, how do we follow Jesus and live an abundant life? That's what you're hearing today. Here's how we do it. When we go through difficult times of transition, we trust that he has a plan and we trust that his heart is good. And he does what is good. And that is how we find peace in the midst of difficult transitions in our life. You don't, you don't believe me? Listen to what Paul said. He says, do not, do not be anxious. Where does anxiety come from? Oftentimes it comes through transition. Transitions create anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, trust God with them. Lay them before him. God hears what's going on. This new thing at work, this new job, that I'm entering into this phase of retirement, the kids have left the home or whatever, now there's a divorce or now there's a cancer or now I've gotta learn how to deal, you know, take care of my aging parents, whatever, whatever, I don't know what it is. I'm gonna lay that transition before you and then here's the result and this is the power, this is what you need, this is what I need in my life, watch this, and then when we do that, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. In other words, it does not make sense to the average person looking in. The peace that surpasses all understanding will will do what? Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. From what? From anxiety, from fear. Remember God's word to Joshua. Do not be discouraged, do not be afraid for I will be with you wherever you go. You can live this life without fear. You can live this life without anxiety. You can live this life without worry in your life if and only if you trust God in the transitions, in the difficult times. And then the peace which surpasses all understanding guards your heart. What is peace? We have to understand what it is. Peace is rest of soul rooted in the character of God. He is a good, and loving God, and he has a plan for you. Therefore, you and I can experience rest of soul, peace instead of anxiety, instead of worry. That's the offer to you. Again, this is not a sermon, this is not a talk, this is a way, this is a path, this is how you and I enter into eternal life. The choice is now yours. Will you step into it? Or will you just leave here and go on and do life the way you've been doing it? You must choose, am I gonna trust him? and believe that he's got a plan and that his heart is good. I hope that you will. I've made my choice. I want a life of peace. I don't want a life of anxiety, so I'm going to trust God through all the transitions in my life. Am I going to mess it up? Absolutely I'm going to mess it up, and I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to trust again, and I'm going to trust again until that peace protects my heart. That's the offer for you as well. Now, as we wrap up here, I I said a moment ago in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I quoted that verse to you. I'll read it to you again. This is what it says. And we know, we have knowledge, we have an understanding that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose for them. I want you to notice something here as we wrap up. You have to love God. You have to be in a relationship with God for these principles to be true for you. Some of you need to take a step into God, into a relationship with God today. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about joining a religion. I'm talking about looking at Jesus, understanding that his death on the cross accomplished everything that you need in order to be in a relationship with God. He died in your place for your sins, to wash you of your sins, to cleanse you of your sins. See, your sin separated you from God. Jesus comes, he dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for your sin and my sin. He rises again the third day, conquering that sin paying the penalty so that you can be forgiven when you step into that relationship with God you will be prepared for your final transition the way that we leave this planet is through a transition we die and we move on to the next life are you ready for that transition I would implore you I would I would beg you be ready for that transition trust in Christ that he died for you that he paid for your sins Step into a relationship right now and trust him. Ask him to wash you, ask him to forgive you, ask him to be your savior. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. If you feel like this is your moment right now, whether you're watching online or one of our campuses, wherever, take these words, make them your own. It's not even the words, it's the faith and trust behind the words that makes you his child. I'm gonna say a simple prayer, take these words. If you bow your head and close your eyes. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for little old me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. It was me that should have paid. I broke the law. And you, the innocent one, you took the penalty so that I could be free, so that that I could be forgiven. And so I step into that forgiveness. And I trust you. Wash me right now. Make me your child. And from this day forward, give me the courage and the strength to live my life for you, to love you, to to honor you, and to obey you. I pray this in your precious name. Jesus. Amen. Can we give God glory, guys, for what he's doing? Amen. Come on, lift it up high. Nice and high. If you just prayed that prayer, whether it's online or one of our campuses, we want to put a New Testament in your hands right now. If if you prayed to receive Christ online, there's a little box there that says, I trusted Christ. Put your address in there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. If you're at one of our campuses, there's tables in the back. We want to get you reading the scriptures. It's so critical that you pick up God's word every day and read because that's how he reveals his will for you. That's how he teaches you the things I'm saying today about how to trust him and how to love him and how obey him and how to live for him. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, please grab one of those free of charge for you. One more time, guys. Give it up. Come on, nice and loud. Amen. At this time, we're going to hand things off to our campus pastors. They have a special announcement for you. Love you guys. We'll see you soon.